Welcome to the Ethos Forum podcast, where we discuss leadership in research and higher education. I'm your host, Mark Douglas. Today, I'm talking with Professor Peter Clinton, Chief Scientist of Western Australia. Peter is a leading medical research scientist, highly regarded for his work in advancing the understanding of the role of genes in leukaemia, cancer and anemia. His previous roles have included Professor of Clinical Biochemistry at the University of Western Australia, Director of Research at the Royal Perth Hospital, and the Director of the Harry Perkins Institute of Medical Research. Today, it is Peter's observations about the demands of leadership in research that I want to discuss. Welcome to the Ethos Forum, Peter. Lovely to be here. Thanks very much for the invitation, Mark. Peter, I've had the pleasure of listening to you discuss leadership to aspiring researchers. When you discuss this top of emerging research leaders, you often take the audience outside of their comfort zone of their research. You talk about strategy, you talk about relationships outside of your discipline. Can you explain why these things are important? I think there's a lot to be learned from other people for a start. We don't have all the answers. And I think it's really important to be open-minded, to challenge yourself, take yourself out of your comfort zones, and to then present challenges to your own staff, your own research teams, or you know, the departments that you're working with. I have to say, I was rather sceptical of vision statements and business plans and strategies and stuff like that until I ran what was called the West Australian Institute for Medical Research. And the chairman of the board said to me, well, Peter, where are we going to be in five years' time? Where are we going to be in three? And where are we going to be in one? And if you haven't got a strategy, we haven't got a plan. That sort of forced me to think about these issues. And I have to admit, in going through the exercise, I found it incredibly valuable to actually see where did we want to go? What were our goals? What were our clearly identifiable visions? And what were the steps that we were going to put in place to get there? So I have to take my hat off to uh, Dick Lester, the chairman of the board, who really took me out of my comfort zone and got me into thinking rather more strategically. It doesn't mean that every step along the way is completely mapped out, but you've got a general direction of where you want to go and a number of paths that you uh, have envisaged going forward into. So uh, from vision and strategy, I'm indebted to him. I'm also indebted to him for another comment that he made to me. He said, Peter, we're in the people business. We need to interact with people. You need to get out there and talk to people. And so that just reaffirmed for me how important it was to build relationships, maintain relationships, develop them, and that way your own team or your own organisation or your own department can interact with others and grow accordingly. So you were heading up a research institute and you were basically a clinical biochemist and you were told you were in the people business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that really came out of left field for me, right? And the reality is, well, we are because we're interacting with people all the time. If you don't link or relate to people, well, you become isolated, you become a recluse and not connected to the real world. And what was important in that conversation was, as an institute, we needed to connect not just with academics and researchers, but we needed to connect with the community, the people who were relying on us to come up with new forms of treatment for various diseases that we were studying. Also, and very importantly, to connect with government and to understand what the needs of government were. So we needed to understand the, the drivers, political system, and for the public sector, and see where we could align the work that we were doing with their desires. 
So instead of just thinking purely from an academic perspective, right, we'll go out, we'll make this discovery, we'll do this, that and the other, was, well, what does the community want us to do? What do the patients want us to do? What does the government want us to do? And, and how do we link up with the, uh, with the public sector? So as a director of the Research Institute, you were finding you had to leave the research to your researchers and you as the leader were connecting often outside of your institute, outside of the work of the researchers. Very true. And there were a number of light bulb moments for me. One was when I was a young lecturer at university and I just loved, you know, being in the lab and getting my hands dirty and designing experiments and doing them. And I was getting rather frustrated having to uh, write grants and, you know, develop a team. And this wise professor said to me, Peter, if you just do the experiments by yourself, that's one person working on it. But if you can actually build a team, there might be 10 people working on it. And so you need to take yourself out of that area where you are very happy to be hands-on and to have a bunch of people working with you that enable you to do more. And so that was a salutary lesson from just a research laboratory perspective. But then that expanded when I became the head of a department and then when I set up the Medical Research Institute. These leadership roles became opportunities for you. I often find in my own work that researchers do not start their career aspiring to be leaders. It's often quite the opposite. People are thinking, I just want to do my research. I can't see myself as a leader in any particular sense. In your career, Peter, when did the role of leader begin to sit comfortably upon your shoulders and think that it was what we could do together rather than what I could do as a researcher? thought of actually being a leader has only sat comfortable with me in the last couple of years, to be honest. So for the first 40 years of my career, I probably felt a bit of a fraud, if I'm honest. I never saw myself as a leader. I always saw myself as someone who wanted to achieve a particular goal. I was really interested in finding, let's say, a gene associated with leukemia. That was the goal. But what was interesting along the way was I got tapped on the shoulder different times in my career. People must have seen something in me that they felt there were some leadership qualities there because they asked me to step up first from a laboratory and then a departmental level and then an institute level to create an institute and then later as chief scientist of Western Australia. So I never sought these roles. Others saw something in me to give me the opportunities. And I guess one of the joys for me now as I've got older is that I look at younger people and I can see those that I go, oh, that person's got some talent. That person's got some real leadership capabilities. They might not understand it, they might not see it right now, but I can see something in them where they have the capability to bring people along on a journey. I would really like to just expand that a little bit, Peter, because what you're saying is that the concept of yourself developing a leadership persona is a social process. You rely on other people giving you some feedback to say, well, this is a leader-like capability and you have it and we want you to step up. But what you've also said is that you're beginning to notice others who have those capabilities. Can you be a bit more specific about the types of characteristics you notice in younger researchers that you think, yes, that is something that is an indicator to me that this person may be a leader of others, is a potential take on a, a leadership role. The sorts of things I see now that appeal to me, one is authenticity, where people are who they are. 
they're comfortable in their skin, they understand themselves, and they're not trying to be someone else. I always get a little bit worried when some people desperately want to be leaders. I see that as more often a power trip where they are looking to achieve something for themselves as distinct from producing an outcome or achieving a goal. Each leader has got their own different style because each person is entirely different. It's very important that leaders have got clarity. They know exactly what they want to do or where they want to take an organization and they're able to communicate that. You know, in the absence of being able to communicate that and bring people along, you're left floundering. So young people who can explain themselves well and bring people along really impress me. Those that have got really good core values, I think, are important. I think leaders need to have a sense of confidence about them. They don't need to be arrogant. I think arrogance is not the way to go. But having a confidence so that people feel, well, yes, I'm happy to go along with this person because they've got a clear direction they want to go in. They're articulating it clearly to me and I'm prepared to fall in behind them. A clear direction that's well articulated mm. confidently and a set of values that, that attract people. And you see those things in young researchers and they're the people that when they talk, other people are likely to listen and you can yeah. see that. That's how I feel, Mark. One of the things that I have learned along the way is that the person at the top sets the culture of the group or the organisation. And I really look to those people who've got great values, core values, they understand their, their core business, they're very clear, but they set a great culture. They're very warm, they're caring, they bring people along with them. They're not slave drivers. They actually consider uh, what's in it for all the other members of staff. And if I can go on just one slight segue here, uh, the motto of the Solomon Islands is something that really resonates with me, and that is to lead is to serve. And, and that means a lot to me because gets back to my point a little bit earlier where I worry if people aspire to be leaders because it's more of a power trip, whereas really authentic, genuine leaders bring people along with them. They actually have to serve those people to bring them to the ultimate goal. You were reminded by your chairman that you were in the people business. What you're, you're saying, I mean, we're here talking about research leadership, but we keep coming back to the fact that this is about a people business, not about a scientific purpose. These principles of leadership, in my view, are applicable in any area. Good leader will bring people along on a journey to achieve an outcome or a goal. It doesn't matter what area you're in, you know, the fundamental traits are there. And research just happens to be one area or one aspect where you do need this leadership. Well, that concludes part one of this conversation with Professor Peter Clinton, Chief Scientist of Western Australia. In part two, I begin by asking Professor Klimkin to reflect on how younger researchers can position themselves for a leadership role.